This is the Double A Balls Podcast with your hosts. See, now we're spitting hot fire and Woo! Andrew Romanella. I like that. That's what I'm talking about. I'll be the best cheerleader. Father Time apparently doesn't know Tom Brady's address. And Anthony Rinaldi. Love the hardwood. That's my passion. Houston, they don't have a problem. Listen, you don't even have to listen. Now it's time for the show. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome into the first edition of the Friday Morning Dab. D-A-A-B, the Double A Balls Podcast, Friday Morning Dab. My name is Andrew Romanella, and with me on this phone call is my partner, Anthony Rinaldi. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing good, and I'm a little sad I'm not sitting next to you right now because I do enjoy that, but I'm glad you could give us some time on this Friday morning so we can get a little bit of information out to the listeners of the Double A Ball podcast. Remember, you can consume the podcast on iTunes, Anchor, and Podbean. Visit us on Twitter and Instagram. Social media blitz. At Double A Balls on both, as well as DAABpodcast.com, and, of course, by your apparel Shirts, sweatshirts, tank tops, coffee mugs, phone cases, etc. at PowerArmPerformance.com. So since the last time I talked to you on Tuesday, Anthony, a lot has happened in baseball and in basketball. But before we go there, we did not get a chance to talk about the NCAA National Championship between the Villanova Wildcats and the Michigan Wolverines. We had put a what do you got together where you took the likes of Loyola Chicago and Villanova and I took the likes of Kansas and Michigan. We split it down the middle one and one. Loyola lost to Michigan 69 to 57 in the first final four game and Villanova trumped Can- Kansas 95 to 79. That really wasn't a game setting an NCAA record with 18 three-pointers to win their final four game, which set up a matchup of Villanova versus Michigan in the final. So I'm going to start here, Ant. Overall, did you enjoy this months-long NCAA tournament? March, madness, Andrew. It's over. It's April. It's baseball season. What the hell are we doing talking about basketball? It was pure madness. Are you kidding me? It's the hardwood. I love the hardwood. You know, I got to be honest with you, the, the final four, as much as I was looking forward to Sister Jean taking it to the house, you know, they had that early lead. They gave it up to Michigan. You know, Michigan came back, fought hard. That second game, Villanova-Kansas, really wasn't much of a game. And Villanova really much rolled through that entire tournament, to tell you the truth, Andrew. I don't know if you know, but they literally beat every team by double-digit points. Well, we spoke about it, I believe it was on episode 11 of the AA Balls podcast, where we went through Villanova's point totals throughout the tournament, and I think they were over 85 points in like three of their four games leading up to the the final four and then the national championship where they put up 95 in the final four and in the championship 79 respectively against 
a Kansas team, it wasn't great defensively, so that doesn't surprise you, that 95 number. But to put up 79 against Michigan, which was considered by a lot of experts one of the best defensive teams the last 15 to 20 games of the season, which is the reason why they went 14-1 and in their last 15 and a run to the national championship. So we set the stage, obviously, with a really good game in Loyola, Chicago versus Michigan. Truthfully, Loyola Chicago should have won that game. It was about a 10-minute span where they turned the basketball over, which felt like every possession that lost them that game. And then, obviously, Kansas was really no match for Villanova. And you went to the national championship game, you looked at it, and you said to yourself, this could be a game or this could be a blowout, and we got the blowout variety. Yeah, and you know, I mean, you saw it. Vegas had it at a seven, seven-and-a-half-point spread, which is pretty high uh, last few years, that's for sure. And all the all the ESPN talking heads, everybody was on Villanova. Even my parents were on Villanova. I mean, I didn't know anybody on Michigan. I was so, on Michigan. Well, yeah, I mean, clearly I we were on Michigan. <laughs> there was some knucklehead who put up uh, twenty five grand on Michigan to win the whole thing at four thousand to one, which would have been a nice million dollar payout. But Villanova just—they had it, Andrew. They steamrolled. They're Jay Wright. I mean, what do you say about Jay Wright? He, is, he, is he the best co- coach in college basketball right now? I mean, that's a – wow, Andrew. I mean, talk about dropping the bombs on Friday morning. Um, I mean, listen, he has more titles than – I'll rattle off a few coaches. You may, not, may, may have heard of him before. Now, now, get, now, granted, Jay Wright has more championships than these guys. Jim Beheim, John Calipari, Bill Self, and Tom Izzo. Let that sink in for a quick minute. I think the reason why we don't hear about Jay Wright as much as you hear about the Caliparis and the Izzos and the Bayheims and the rest of the list that you just mentioned is because Villanova has not been known as a factory for NBA players. It has been known as a school. You're going to go. You're going to have very good four-year basketball players there. They're always going to be around. They're always going to be in the tournament. And for a long while, Really, until 2016, Villanova was known as that powerhouse team that could never win anything in March. Well, now, ever since 2016, that script has flipped. Anthony, they have not lost back-to-back games since the 2013 season. That is a model of consistency. That's five years where you never have to deal with losing two games in a row. You never have a losing streak. That, to me, is the definition of it. But you don't hear about Jay Wright. You don't hear as much about the Villanova program until they go out and they rattle off wins in the NCAA tournament because they're not as many NBA products. Yes, Macal Bridges is probably a top 10 draft pick in the NBA. Jalen Brunson is probably a first round draft pick in the NBA. But other than that, you really look at it and you say to yourself, those guys are three year guys. Majority of these other coaches we're talking about are dealing with one and dones. Exactly. And you, You'll never hear Villanova in the in the scandal part of the newspaper. Although I think they did have something a few years back. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as what the NCAA is going through now. But I know there was a little uh, red flag with Villanova. But I, I I read something on ESPN the other day about Villanova and Jay Wright. I think it was one of their older players, Nardi. I think he was back when when Jay Wright just started this transformation, and he talked about his his pitch to the to, to the kids as he was sitting in their living rooms. Restoring the program to its former glory. I'm pretty sure Villanova's wow. done that in spades. That's unbelievable. But let me but he but Nardi mentioned that 
He goes, you come to Villanova and you have one skill. He's like, but after talking and, and, and being coached by Jay Wright, he goes, he'll make you a better defender. He'll make you a great passer, a better rebounder. Jay Wright just makes you the complete player. They play together as one unit, as one team. They have – did you see that dude come off the bench, the MOP of the tournament, Dante DiVincenzo? Did you see his stat line, Andrew? I know you got it. Unbelievable what he did in that game. And I think he was 10 of 15 from the field, which is just ridiculous. Played 37 minutes in that game. He scored 31 points, was 5 of 7 from beyond the arc, and 6 of 10 from the free throw line, and threw in 5 rebounds to boot. I mean, Eddie, like I said, he, he could start on probably every single Division One program in college basketball, except probably Kentucky, because Calum Perry's a knucklehead. But he is willing to come off the bench and be that spark that Villanova needed, that six-man that, that dynamite score, that fantastic passer. I mean, Jay Wright, like you said, Andrew, hasn't lost back-to-back games in five years. How about has 136 wins in four seasons, the last four seasons? That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. That's- and if you think about it, and I think it was Jay Billis that made this point, and it was really interesting to hear. Since 1985, which is generally where you'll put the millennials, you, me, you know, younger 30s, mid-20s, that generation, if you think about it, in their time of living, Villanova has been a perennial team in NCAA basketball. And in that time... A lot of us growing up know Villanova as, as one of the better programs in college basketball, as opposed to what our parents knew, which was UCLA, well, pretty predominantly UCLA, obviously what John Wooden did. But I think that's what's so interesting about this story is it took us all until they won two championships in three years to realize how good they've been for the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah, Jay Wright. He's the third active coach with multiple NCAA championships. Unreal. I think it's him. Who's it? Him? Probably Roy Williams and Shashevsky, right? They're probably only. uh, That would be my guess. And on the. You forget to do the good stuff. That's true. And on the flip side, before we move on from the final four, which I think overall the tournament was great. So many upsets this year. Obviously, historic UMBC knocking off the number one seed in Virginia for the first time in NCAA tournament history, not just knocking off, but absolutely slaughtering, which we talked about on a prior episode. Just to finish the conversation, if you look at the other sidelines real quick, and we talk so much about Villanova. Hey, by the way, the Michigan Wolverines have been in two finals in the last four years as well. And they don't show any signs of slowing down. They return just to name two, Xavier Simpson, and Jordan Poole, which are two names that if you watch this NCAA tournament very closely, you became to know over the course of the, the really the tournament, but the year as those two players, those two big-time players. Obviously, Jordan Poole hit the shot for Michigan to move on, and, and really they're not in the finals if they don't hit that shot to, to, to win the game. I believe it was in the second round of the tournament. And, and it's Houston, I believe. Yes, sir. And if you look at Xavier Simpson, I mean, in the champion, in the national championship game alone, he started for them. He played 34 minutes, just efficient, four of eight from the field, had 10 points, three, two for three at the line, a few boards, a few assists, a few steals, not many turnovers. 
He's an all-around player that now that Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman is no longer uh, going to be at Michigan, is probably going to step up. So look for Michigan. I was reading their recruiting class before. I believe they have number 58 on the ESPN 100 coming in along with it's about three or four highly touted recruits coming in next year. And, and look for Villanova and Michigan again this time next year. Maybe it's not a back-to-back championship rematch, but just look for both these teams to be riding up the board. Yeah, I want to say, I believe Duke right now is the favorite out of of Las Vegas to to be the championship winner next year. I'm going to put my money on Villanova. I don't care who's coming back. Obviously, they're going to have a few guys come back from the championship squad. They're like the Golden State Warriors of college basketball. I've heard that a few times, and I agree with it. I mean, listen, they, they beat you every which way possible. Bill Belichick always talks about having multiple ways of finding finding multiple ways to win. I mean, Villanova, they proved it in this NCAA tournament. They had a few close games. They had some bad games, but you know what? They beat it out. They beat you on the boards. If, if they're having an off night shooting, they'll just grab offensive rebounds, extra possessions. They'll beat you on the block. They hit threes. They dribble penetrate. There's not a lot that, that Jay Wright's team does not do almost perfect. Well, I'm not going to lie to you, Anthony. I probably had a little bit more fun watching the final four for the women in the NCAA. Shut your face, Andrew. Tell me you watched those buzzer beaters. Oh, my God. I believe her name is Arik Agumbawale. Close enough. Agumbawale. I'm so bad at saying it. I'm sorry for butchering it because her, her, both of her buzzer beaters in overtime in the final four match, and then to win the national championship against Michigan State. And the nutty part about it is he hits a buzzer beater to beat UConn in overtime, and then a buzzer beater to beat Mississippi State, who was in back-to-back national championships, who lost in back-to-back national championships. I mean, who, who's doing the scouting report? I mean, you got to cover that girl. <laughs> Most of those shots she took were contested, too. I mean, she didn't care. Yeah, and I thought both shots, Anthony, were very well contested, I think, as we said before. But in, at the end, uh, Arik Agunbowale, if I believe I'm getting that correct now, which I'm very proud of myself, uh, did a fantastic job. And what was crazy is, obviously, you, you watched the women's game late in the Final Four, I think, because UConn exists. If UConn didn't exist, it might not be as compelling. And there's no disrespect there. I love women's basketball. I broadcast it. I'll watch it. Um, but when, when UConn and you get to the, the Elite Eight, and you tune in for two reasons. To either A, see if UConn's going to win it all again, or B, if somebody's going to knock them off like we've had the last two years. And I think that makes it a more compelling story because as the men's tournament went rolling on, you started getting less interested because you started to really, really start feeling like as all these big programs got knocked off and Villanova kept steamrolling, you were like, all right, this is a crash course. Villanova's going to win it. And it was a blowout in both the Final Four and the championship. You got the exact opposite in the women's game. You got two overtime games in the Final Four and a buzzer beater in the championship. Yeah, I mean, come on, Andrew. I mean, what she did... Let alone knocking down the, the one against uh, UConn. I mean, you always hear about UConn. They dismantled teams by 30, 40 points. I mean, you, know, you got to think that they're the odds on favorite every year to go win it. But you know what? They don't win it. Although I think they're 25 straight years in the Final Four, which is pretty ridiculous. And I think, and, and really, at the end of the day, it's if, if you don't like it, 
play better. And exactly. So about what they're doing is every single year, Gino Oriema will retool and they will be better each year. However, the last two, since they lost Brianna Stewart, who was four, three times the national player of the year, I believe, and a four-time national champion at UConn, they have not been in the last game of the year. But to switch gears from your beloved hardwood to the nice brown dirt and the nice green grass, the warmer weather hopefully is upon us, Anthony. And in California, where warm weather is upon them 365 days out of the year, Shohei Otani is answering some questions for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Back-to-back games, hitting the long ball. Chicks dig the long ball, Andrew. They do. I believe he's the first guy since Babe Ruth to start and win a game in the same week that he homers in the DH position. I mean, he is all that's cracked up to be so far, all the hype about the Japanese Babe Ruth. I mean, he just he became Babe Ruth by hitting two dongs in back-to-back games. It took him three games to hit back-to-back home runs. I think it's like the fastest, at least for Angels. I know they showed Mike Trout. I think it took him like 21 games. And took somebody else, like, like him 30 or something like that. So he's, he's number one on that list. And what was cool about watching the home opener home run was it was his first at bat in the home opener. And he took a breaking ball and deposited it into right center field. But what was cooler, and I was able to watch it live, which was awesome. What was cooler was the crowd reaction. He came out for a curtain call. You could tell that it was almost like the weight off the crowd's shoulders as much as his shoulders, as much as the dugout. And then the, the icing on the cake was the dugout decided to ignore him when he got down the steps and he started celebrating with some guy who was trying to ignore him. And then they got piled up on top of him. Really, really cool moment to see. And I thought it was, it's probably a real breath of fresh air for the angels who have gotten off to a pretty good start to start the year at five and two and have won their last two. They showed his the home, second home run that he hit. It was off, you know, Cy Young winner uh, Corey Kluber from the Indians. And as, for, as his first at bat, you just saw Kluber paint the outside corner, three straight strikes, sit down, Shohei Otani, welcome to America type shit. But then all of a sudden, his second at bat, that first pitch in the outside corner, Otani goes yard and says, welcome to uh, J- Japan, son. It was just brutal. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and, and for them to be beating the Indians, I know it's early, but to your point, Anthony, uh, that's a pretty big win. And for him to be going up against a guy who's a Cy Young Award winner and possibly one of the best pitchers in the American League and to deposit, again, back-to-back games, uh, you want to see what his second start is going to be like off the hill. I think you're going to learn a lot about his body, his conditioning, the way he can handle 162 from both the offensive and the pitching side of things. But so far, like I said earlier, so far so good for the uh, for the LAA or the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. There's quite a few teams, Andrew, started off with a decent record. Quite a few. Your, your beloved Mets. Yes, quite a few teams, not as many individual players. Uh, John Carlos Stanton insert here, home opener for the Yankees. But before, before we go there, 
because obviously he ends up going deep the next day. Why wouldn't he? Before we go there, you are correct. The Mets have gotten off to a very good start. And what excites me the most, I could talk about a litany of things that are exciting me about the New York Mets right now. But more importantly, what's exciting me is that on Thursday afternoon, the New York Mets defeated the Washington Nationals 8-2. to But more importantly in that game, Michael Conforto returned from the disabled list and went deep off of Steven Strasburg. And he looked good. Yoane Cespedes went deep. Jay Bruce hit a grand slam. The Mets win again. They're 5-1. and one. Jacob deGrom goes 6. One earned, 5Ks, 3 walks. He's 2-0. and oh. The Mets go in beat the Nationals, they go in and take two from the Phillies, and they took two or three from the Cardinals on the opening weekend. Anthony, I don't think you can ask for anything else if you're a Mets fan right now. That's it, baby. Just keep winning series. You guys got the golden ticket, Mickey Calloway. He's I mean, a great manager. I think he's paying off right now. Listen, a lot of – he, like I said, he's, 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 a, he's a pitching guru, came out of that Cleveland stock, that Terry Francona stock, and what uh, do the Mets have a plentiful – and if they can stay healthy, your pitching staff is top-notch. And, and, you've, and they, you've, seen it, you've seen it through the first six games. Right. And, and, and they hit three home runs last night against the Nationals. And that really hasn't been the recipe for success for them. The first six games of the year, you can really see them grinding out at bats, trying to get on base, really making pitchers Work. I'm going to read these this, this stat line to you real quick. It's not really a line. It's just if you look at the amount of pitches seen by each member of the New York Mets last night, listen to these numbers. Michael Conforto, 20 in four at-bats. On, uh, Drupal Cabrera, 17, four at-bats. Yoana Cespedes, 28, four at-bats. Jay Bruce, 15. Todd Frazier, 10. Well, no coincidence, everybody that I just listed that had 15 or more had one or two hits on the day. Todd Frazier had 10 and four bats and went 0 for 4. There's a common trend here, and it's that they're waiting for their pitch. They're doing damage on their pitch, and it's seriously working out for them because it's also resulting in more walks and less Ks. They did strike out 10 times last night, but they were also facing one of the best arms in the National League. A lot of baseball left, Andrew. A lot of baseball. But you gotta like the, you gotta, gotta like all the moves they make. You gotta like that they got a, I think a run differential of plus fifteen, which is always good. Better to score more runs than not. And and I I'll, I'll dispute you in this. Everyone always tells me it's a lot of baseball left. It's early. It's this. It's that. It's the other thing. Well, I remember in in two thousand fifteen, the New York Mets went on a really early winning streak. I believe it was nine or ten games early in April. And after that, they did not play very good baseball for about three or four straight months. But if they didn't have that 10 game winning streak early in the season, first, you know, 10 to 20 games of the year, it it saved their season. They end up making the playoffs, they end up making a run to the World Series. So they play 162 for a reason. I'm going to take these six. I'm going to be very excited about these six. I'm going to tamper my excitement. Um, I got to see a team stay healthy the whole year. I need to see a pitching staff stay healthy for the whole year. But, I mean, Noah Syndergaard goes four on Wednesday, but the bullpen goes five 
that only gives up one run. I mean, it gives up no runs. Excuse me. I love seeing that. I mean, that's something the Mets haven't had. When Hansel Robles comes into the game and actually gets three outs without putting a guy on base, good things are happening for the New York Mets. So early in the season, but but very good returns on the backside for the Mets. If we go to the pinstripes, the navy blue pinstripes on the other side of the city, the New York Yankees had a gloomy home opener, which was a gloomy day for both the fans and one Giancarlo Stanton. I don't know why we have been, I mean, I understand why they have baseball in end of March, but these northern, northeastern states, you know there's going to be snow. I think we're getting snow on Saturday, too. That's going to be wonderful. But you saw Giancarlo at a, was that a platinum sombrero? 5K? I don't know what 5Ks are. Does he even have a name? They should have. Yeah, yeah, they have platinum sombrero. Is it really? Oh, wow. All right. That's, that, that's just, that just goes to show you what kind of knowledge I have about the game of baseball. Andrew. What does Anthony know about sports? Tune in on Tuesday. You'll find out. That's, you'll find out. But, I, you know, do I agree with the, you know, the fans booing him? I mean, he, no. he made $325 million. I mean, the guy's going to have a few rough games. Do you boo him? I, I don't know. Listen, the fans want to boo. I don't care if fans boo Exactly. That's New York. I mean, that's that's everywhere. If you start, if you suck for a game, they're gonna boo you. And what does he do the next, the following home game? Hits one four hundred sixty feet. You know what I mean? And then Stanton goes deep, and Sanchez goes deep, and I think as Yankees fans, you kind of look at it and go, hmm, maybe we overreacted just a hair. But well, well listen, hold on, let me interrupt you because he, he had a big five k, big five k day uh, game, and we still scored eleven runs. Right. That's what you should be excited about as a Yankees fan. Hey, you don't need arguably the best player in your lineup to play, and you could score a double-digit amount of runs. That's how good you are this year. And you you heard it. Our two, three, and four hitters went back, you know, hit two home runs each. And that's exactly what every Yankee fan has been looking at, has thought that this lineup would be. And, and you saw the, the day he had five Ks, Gregorius, eight, eight RBI. Dede Gregorius, I'm saying now, will be the MVP of the New York Yankees at the end of this season. Oh, that'll be Brian Cashman's legacy. That's uh, getting him from Arizona. Well, think about it. In the entirety of Brian Cashman's career, if Dede Gregorius works out and he stays a Yankee for 10 or 15 more years, for about 30 years of existence for the New York Yankees, you had two of arguably, again, I'm not trying to jump the gun here on Dede. He's got to do it over the course of 15 years, as did Derek Jeter, as did Cal Ripken, as did every great shortstop in the history of the game. But what I'm saying is right now he's displaying the type of – for 30 straight years, the Yankees could have only dealt with two shortstops and two Hall of Fame caliber talented shortstops at that. That must have been the hardest role choose to fill shortstop for New York Yankees. I mean – right. The dude before him was a living legend in the, in, the, in the eyes of most Yankee fans. I know a lot of, towards the end, we're kind of not tired of him, but kind of were like, all right, let's, it's, it's time for the captain to move on. He's, he's 41, yeah. oh, 40 or 41. Years. Right. And listen, what are you going to do? Once you start getting hurt, you change a lot. Like you said, it's New York. Welcome to New York, Giancarlo. That's it. And, and at the end of the day, Rick D. Pietro said it before we move on. I just want to get it. Uh, I thought it was perfectly depicted. 
you got a bunch of angry fans who paid for opening day tickets to get a beautiful day of baseball who are getting poured on in rain. The game was delayed and they're sitting watching this guy who's making $300 million and they just acquired to just do amazing things, not even put a ball in play for three hours of getting rained on. So you can see why they would be frustrated. And to that point, I agree. But as a baseball guy and just a, a reasonable fan in general, I obviously just completely disagree. To finish the point on DD, this is what he's done in the first week of the season. 20 in the last seven days specifically, in 22 total at bats in seven days of Major League Baseball season, DD Gregorius has eight hits, six runs scored, four doubles, a triple, two home runs, nine RBIs. He's hitting 364. Not bad, not bad, not That's, too bad. He's just, he is just that good. Before we finish up here on the Friday morning dab with the DAAB podcast, follow us on the, uh, Instagram and Twitter at AA Balls on both. We want to talk about Kyrie Irving because oh, so big news came out yesterday about Kyrie and. He has an infection in the knee that he recently got surgery on. Surgery that was supposed to be, quote-unquote, not that serious and allow him to come back potentially in the second round of the playoffs now has him out for the remainder of the season. Every Boston fan was like, really? This is what we have to deal with? I mean, that's it. The season's over. Yeah, no, we can't. We can't expect Boston to do much now. And that was... Your your boy from ESPN, Screaming A. Smith, was screaming that if 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 LeBron would lose to Kyrie, that would be like the the worst, the, the biggest tarnish on his on his resume is that he lost to Kyrie. But I don't think that's going to be the issue. I heard or, that though because, and it's not a bad point. I don't think it's the biggest tarnish on his resume. I think that's a little ridiculous. I think what it is is just the biggest story you can find in the Eastern Conference because. And we've, we've talked about this till we were blue in the face, Ant. But a lot of people just think it's Cleveland Cavaliers and it's everybody else. Hence the bet that we made where you took Cleveland and I took the field. So I think what it really is is people just kind of looking at it and, and going to themselves. That's the best possible scenario we could have in this conference playoffs is if Kyrie faces LeBron to go to the finals. Toronto, I don't know. If, I, think, I just think LeBron is Toronto's kryptonite. And you saw it again. Oh, yeah. The other night, just LeBron has his way with Toronto. Uh, but Toronto we played a bad up basketball up. game, and you're what do you got? Oh man, that was a bad basketball game. Them well, versus Celtics. Well, I mean, it wasn't their fault. The Celtics didn't show up. Oh, whew. no Toronto. one showed up for the first half. Yeah, listen, like purple squad. It's true. But it's a lot to dissect. It's going to be a lot of interesting stuff going on in the next few weeks in the NBA. And, and real quick, just to just to give you a quick update and an idea of how much these standings are fluctuating in the NBA. Uh, we talked, uh, I believe it was on Tuesday. We gave you a rundown on the standings since that, since episode 12 of the double a balls podcast, a lot has changed in the East. Now Philadelphia is tied exactly with the Cleveland Cavaliers for the three seed at 48 and 30. The Pacers they play, have they play tomorrow night, by the way, they, they play tomorrow night. I'm sorry, uh, they played tonight. No, they played no, tonight. They play tonight. Right, they played tonight. Uh, That's my what do you got part two. Hey. 76ers on a 12-game winning streak. Cavaliers on a four-game winning streak. The Pacers have lost. So now they're two back of the 76ers. So that might be tough with only four games remaining. And the Heat. So 
What has also happened, the Heat, the Wizard, and the Bucks have clinched playoff spots, meaning that the Eastern Conference playoffs teams are set, but where they will be sitting in the standings and who they will be playing in the first round has not been set yet. And I, go ahead. I, I bet you they're all fighting for to play the Boston Celtics right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. I truly do believe teams are fighting to play the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference, which is still a little bit more wacky because it might be mathematically probably out of the realm or not maybe mathematically, but excuse me, realistically out of the realm that the Clippers uh, can actually overtake anybody, but they're technically still alive, but they're two game back of the eight spot. The Nuggets are one game back. And then since we last spoke, OKC has dropped. Wow. San Antonio has jumped two places. The Pelicans have dropped. They were at the eight seed on, on Tuesday. So that hasn't changed. And, Portland, Golden State, and Houston have essentially solidified the one, two, and three. Houston has solidified the one. Golden State has solidified the two, but Portland has now probably exactly solidified the three unless they lose their last three and Utah wins their last three. Get me to the playoffs. I mean, they go till June, so we have time to discuss them. Oh, yeah. We have five months before the end of the NBA playoffs. <laughs> But I think they football got nine I think between games. They're good. I think football starts right when the right when the NBA tips off their final game, game seven. That's so true. Well, listen, uh, we are going to be trying to do this. The Double A Balls podcast is every week just to kind of give you a little bit of an update on the things we talk about early in the week to what's been happening in the sports world since. We just love talking to you so much. We can't do it once a week. We want to do it twice a week. So we will have the Double A Balls podcast regular release on Tuesdays. And, of course, the Friday morning dab, Double A A Balls. Anthony and Andrew, that's the two A's. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram at Double A Balls on both. Listen, we just want to jump in into your living rooms, into your car seats, on your ride to work on Friday. We just want to see how you're doing. We just want to make sure you guys are having a great week, following up on the sports like we are. And we just want to give the fans what they want. And they want more double-A balls. Who doesn't want more double-A balls? Andrew, I'll, I don't know, I'll but see you Tuesday. Get me on out of here. If you meet a person that doesn't want more double-A balls, Anthony, I don't know if it's a person I want to hang out with. DoubleABpodcast.com, PowerArmPerformance.com for the apparel. Double-A balls, Twitter, Instagram. I'm Andrew Romanella. That is my partner, Anthony Rinaldi. We are the Double-A Balls Podcast. This is the Friday Morning Dab, and we are out. This has been the Double A Balls Podcast, powered by Power Arm Performance, your leader in baseball and softball training apparel. Visit www.powerarmperformance.com to get your apparel and start training like the pros today. podcast you just heard was recorded with anchor if you want to make your own download the android or ios app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast that's anchor.fm slash podcast